First of all, I wanted to read you just one thing from C.H. McIntosh before we start chapter 13, chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. Uh, remember where we were last time? Uh, we finished 12, that you shall not worship your God in any way that the heathen did, because every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they've done to their gods. That's what the Canaanites were doing. They burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you to be careful to observe it, you shall not add to it or take away from it. Well, Revelation 22 says the same thing. Don't add to this Bible or take away anything from it, because that is really sin in God's sight. But Dr. McIntosh, as we start this next chapter, it says, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. All right, now Dr. McIntosh says in connection with starting chapter 13 to remember that we are not under the law of Moses, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians that all these things were written for our example. So it's our example book back here. And he said... Here we have divine provision made for all cases of false teaching and false religious influence. We all know how easily the poor human heart is led astray by anything in the shape of a sign or a wonder, and especially when such things stand connected with religion. This is not confined to the nation of Israel. We see it everywhere. Now, this is written in the 1800s. We see it everywhere and at all times. Anything supernatural, anything involving an infringement of what are called the ordinary laws of nature is almost sure to act powerfully on the human mind. A prophet rising up in the midst of the people and confirming his teaching by miracles, signs, and wonders would be almost sure to get a hearing and obtain an influence. Do they on our televisions today? They certainly do. In this way, Satan has worked in all ages, and he will work yet more powerfully at the end of this present age in order to deceive and lead to their everlasting destruction those who will not hearken to the precious truth of the gospel. The mystery of iniquity, which has been working in a professing church for 18 centuries, will be headed up in that person, or more than 20 centuries, will be headed up in the person of that wicked one whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. There's going to be more and more of this. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received, now what? Why do they fall for this? They didn't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. They might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's from Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And then Matthew. We're going to go through some of these chapters, but let's ask God to bless us today before we start. Lord, we just thank you for each one who's come out today to study your word. We just ask that we each one might be blessed by the things that we will 
read and hear from your word today because it's your word that you exalt above your name. We know that this is the written word and Jesus is the living word. That's his name when he's going to come back from heaven one day riding on a white horse and his name is called the word of God. And so he is the, the living word, but this is the written word. And it's just as supernatural because every time we read it, I mean, I never get tired of reading of Samson and Delilah and about David and Goliath and all of these stories. So as we go through some of these things today about false prophets in the Old Testament and see that our own hearts are subject to deception also as were theirs. So we ask that you'd bless us today and be with any of our family that are sick and need help or are lost. We just pray that before you come that Every one of our members of our families here will come to know you as Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In looking at this false prophet, I've seen this so many times that they were not to have anything to do with false prophets. But, you know, as we've seen in studying and reading, he said, you are rebellious. Your hearts are rebellious. That's what he said all along, hasn't it? He gives them his truth. He said, but you won't be able to keep it. But so there were many, many other things. Now, listen to what he says here. You shall walk after the Lord. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God. This is chapter 13, verse 5. To turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. You know, do we still have the same enticer that our enemy, the devil, is walking around seeking whom he may devour? See, he's, he's trying to see a weak spot in your life so that he can destroy you, too. And so he said he wants to entice them and he wants to entice us. But he said, you put this evil person away, you'll put away the evil from your midst. If your brother, now this sounds very hard, but this was the Old Testament. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom or your friend who is as your own soul secretly entices you saying, these are very close people to you, let us go and serve other gods which you haven't known, neither you nor your fathers. Of the gods, let's go serve the gods of the people which are all around us, near to you or far off from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. You shall not consent to him or listen to him nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. And you shall stone him with stones until he dies, because he sought to entice you away. That's what they did to Achan. Remember when they took, when we get to Joshua, the first city, God said that everything in this city is forbidden for you if it's all under a ban. It all belongs to me. Well, so when Achan got there, he saw a goodly Babylonian garment and this wedge of gold, and he took these things and hid them under his garments in his tent. And he thought they were hidden. But you don't hide anything from God. And so the next battle after Jericho was very easy, supposedly, just the little city of Ai. Well, they got routed out of there and beaten badly and a lot of the Jewish soldiers died because they went in and Joshua said, well, Lord, you said you'd give us this land and 
he fell on his face before the Lord. And the Lord said, get up. Israel has sinned. See, when one person sins in the camp, like in a church, if there's one person sinning, then it's as if the whole church is infected almost. So he said, Israel has sinned, not Achan has sinned. But you've got to put away this sin from you. So they took them tribe by tribe, and it came to the tribe of Judah. Then they went all through the families, came to this family of Achan. And he said, tell what you've done. And he said, well, I saw a goodly Babylonish garment. See, Babylon has been uh, instrumental from the very beginning of the Bible, all the way through. Babylon, bad. Jerusalem, good, <laughs> supposedly. That's God's city. Babylon is Satan's city. I'm waiting to see uh, right now Babylon is being readied for the Antichrist. That will be his capital during the tribulation. And we have built a great capital for him. Our embassy there is the largest in the world. And we built it. It's just glorious, really. I said to my sister, and she said to me when they built it several years ago, this will be the capital of the Antichrist. And sure enough, but now there's all these problems over there. We'll see how things play out. But God's working it around to bring all the Arab nations down against Israel, to fight against Israel, as per Ezekiel 38. And when they all start fighting, coming down to wipe out Israel, and it names all of the nations, Russia, one of them, but not Iraq, Iran yet. The only one that isn't is Babylon. All the other nations, all these Arab nations, are going to come down and throw Israel into the sea. Well, when they do, God is going to go to war against them and wipe them out. You can read that in. Read Ezekiel 37 again and 38, where Israel is going to be restored into their land. And that happened in 1948 and has been going on. And now they are just so wealthy and they are the breadbasket for most of Europe, the vegetables and all that they send, and the oil and the gas that they've found. So it's a wonderful land, and uh, these people all want this. It may be that they're going to want all this gas that they found in the Mediterranean just off the coast of Israel. It's enough to make any country or any, the whole world run for years and years and years. The wealth is just untold. So that may be one of the reasons that they're coming down. But they will come and God will destroy them. And then that will leave a void, won't it? All the Muslims gone. That will leave a void and the human heart has to worship something and a man will come to the scene and say, he will be the strong man. I can fix things. I can bring peace. And he will be the Antichrist. We're going to read a little bit about that. But he will be able to do signs and wonders and will deceive everyone. So all of these things are very, very interesting. In fact, we might turn to that very place first. Turn to Second Thessalonians 2. If I get through all these little blue slips, it'll be a miracle today. But I wanted you to see that in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, now brethren, he's writing to believers concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his first coming. And then our gathering to him, that's the rapture, write that in your margin. Our gathering to him, that's the next thing on God's program. Before all these nations move down on Israel, we'll be gathered to the Lord. We'll be caught away like Elijah was. And I've been listening in the car to my CDs on the Bible, and I'm in First and Second Kings, and, and it's just thrilling how Elijah was caught up. And Elijah 
Elisha was separated from him by chariots of fire. I mean, it's, it's just thrilling to read these things. But anyway, he said, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, don't you be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or word or by letter as if from us as though of the day of the Lord. It should be the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord will be after God destroys these Arab nations and then the Antichrist takes over and that starts the tribulation or the day of the Lord. It starts with the tribulation seven years, then a thousand years of rule by Jesus Christ on this earth. It'll be a wonderful, wonderful time. But before that, we'll be caught up. Then when he comes back to rule, we'll come back with him and be given jobs to do, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble. You can talk that out with the Lord yourself. But he said, let no one deceive you by any means, for the day of the Lord will not come unless there's a, the word is departure, unless there's a departure first. It's not apostasy. There will be apostasy. But this word apostasion is from the, the noun meaning separation or divorce. You need to write this down. I first heard this by Dr. Pentecost. And it's just wonderful to see this because this is a rapture passage. From apostasion, the noun is separation or divorce. And it's from another word, aphistomy, which means remove. So apostasia means there's going to be a removal, a departure. And so you might just write departure in your Bible there, unless the falling away comes first. So before the man of sin, you won't know who he is even. And the man of sin is revealed. After the departure, what's going to happen? The man of sin, that this Antichrist that's in the 13th chapter of Revelation, he will be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that's worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. We saw that from Daniel, that he's going to put an image of himself and make people worship him all over the world. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining. It's someone is restraining. It's not a what, it's a person. Can you imagine what's restraining today? Who lives inside of you? Every believer has the Holy Spirit living within you. He's the restrainer. Someone is restraining that the Antichrist may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness in Paul's day was already at work. Only he, so it's a he instead of a what, he is restraining until he is taken out of the way. Well, when the departure happens, what will happen? When we go, the Holy Spirit leaves, doesn't he? He indwells us permanently. And we read in Ephesians chapter 1, we're sealed with him. So when we leave at the departure, the rapture, the Holy Spirit leaves. And then he will be active again like he was in the Old Testament. He won't indwell people. He didn't indwell David. He didn't indwell anybody in the Old. He didn't indwell Elijah. But he could come on a person and leave them. Like David could say, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. We can't pray that today because he's sealed within you, and you cannot lose what's sealed. In fact, you can't lose your salvation because you're sealed. Once you believe in Jesus as your personal Savior, you're sealed, and you're you're in God's family. It's like when I was born into my family. I might disappoint my family and 
And I might say, I don't want to be in this family. So what? I'm still in the family, aren't I? You can't get out of the family in which you're born. And that's what it means to be born again. When you accept Jesus, you're born into God's family. And you're safe and secure for all time. That's wonderful. Because a lot of religious systems teach that you can lose your salvation and that you aren't secure. Well, what, what kind of security would that be in hope? We have hope. We know. We can know these things. And he said, he who restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And when he's out of the way, the rapture, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth, destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs. How's he going to win everybody? Power and signs and lying wonders. Miracles and healing and raising from the dead, speaking in languages, all of these things, with all unrighteousness and deception among those who perish because they didn't receive the love of the truth. What is the one thing that keeps you or me from deception? It's this Bible. The more you know the Bible, the less you'll be deceived. See, the more you know of God's Word, if you read it every day and lay it up in your heart and memorize it, Something false comes before you, you read it or you see it, or a book, and you say, that's not right. That doesn't mesh with what the Bible says, see? But if you don't know what the Bible says, you are ripe for being deceived. And so back in Revelation 13, it says the same thing about him, that during this time of the tribulation, John saw this beast, and God sees him as wild beast, having seven heads and ten horns, one of his heads mortally wounded. This is the Antichrist whose headquarters will be in Babylon. He's going to be wounded. And we read in Zechariah chapter 11 that he'll be wounded in his arm and eye, but he will suddenly be restored. It said, I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Write Zechariah 11:14. That gives you what happened to him, how he was wounded. His deadly wound was healed, and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon that we saw from chapter 12, that the dragon is that old serpent, the devil, and Satan, who deceived Eve. And so the dragon is Satan. So the dragon gave him his authority. That's who's behind uh, this terrible person, this Antichrist. So they worshipped the dragon. They worshipped Satan, who gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? He was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for three and a half years. Then he opened his mouth to blaspheme God and God's name and God's tabernacle and even those who dwell in heaven. See, this is blasphemy. God hates that. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe. See, I said there will be a vacuum when all the Arabs are gone and the vacuum will be filled and he will be given authority by Satan over every tribe and tongue and nation in the world. And see, Babylon is like Israel, center of the world's landmass. So it's the center of everything. You can just reach out everywhere from there. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. 
And then it goes on to say, the second beast is like the Holy Spirit. See, Satan never thinks of anything new. He always corrupts the truth. So he becomes a trinity. See, Satan, the beast, and the false prophet. See, instead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So Satan is like the anti-God. The first beast is like the anti-Christ. And the second one is like the anti-Holy Spirit. So this other beast is like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So there's three comes on the scene. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven. Would that fool you if you saw fire come down from heaven? As Dr. McIntyre says, our poor human hearts are prone to accept false things unless we know God's word and are buttressed by it. So he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. We've seen that before. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of himself, haven't we? So we see the example book in the Old Testament. But that's all I'm going to... He was granted power to give breath and image to this beast that the image of the beast would speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And so it's going to be a terrible, terrible time. And the way they're going to be killed is being started on our world. It's by decapitation. And when you see that, we just saw it this week, that's going to be the way that everybody is going to be done away with. Off with your head. Heads roll. That's Satan's way. All right, now let's look at one other place before we leave there. Let's look at Matthew 24 about this signs and see. Matthew chapter 24 where Jesus said, because his disciples were saying, well, we know now that you're going to go to the cross and you've told us you're going to rise from the dead, but then what? When are you going to fulfill what all the prophets wrote about? When are you going to be the king? When are you going to set up a kingdom? when Israel's going to be the head instead of the tail. And so he said, don't worry. But they're saying, what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus said said to them, take heed. Now, this isn't the rapture. You do not find the rapture or the church in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Remember that. Jesus said, I will build my church in Matthew and the gates of hell. But this is still on Old Testament ground. When did the church start? Acts chapter 2 after Jesus rose from the dead. It couldn't start until he was risen from the dead. And he rose from the dead and the church started on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He says, I will build my church. Take heed that no one deceive you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. For all these things, see, not only did they not know about the church. They didn't know about this church age, this 2,000 years from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. So what these disciples are saying is, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Is it going to be right now? Well, the first chapter of Acts said, no, it's going to be an extended time away, a special time, yes, but it's not going to be right away, times and seasons. It's going to be an extended period of time and an exact date. So he said, it's going to be someday, but there's going to be 2,000 years, really, 
in between the church age. See, that we're still in that age now, but they knew nothing about the church age. But he said, how will we know that the second coming after the rapture is going to happen? He said, there'll be famine, pestilences, verse 7, earthquakes, and all these will be the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Do you see how that's even beginning today? We must be at the end of the church age right now, the end of the 2,000 years, because we see that Israel has, America used to be Israel's friend, and now with this president that we have, it's just riddled with anti-Semitism. All of the colleges, you know, if you were Satan, where would you go to reach people most? In the schools and the colleges and the churches. And that's where he's going. And church leaders of this last issue of Dave Hunt's magazine, Berean Call, it's about the false teachers that are abroad today. And it is just scary. And there's one right here in Tampa where he started this laughing revival. I mean, it's not Christian. It's an occult form of charismatics. That's what I would say. It's bad. And charismatics, they don't believe in the rapture. It's like this man that is the rabbi. I talked with him for two hours one day. He doesn't believe the rapture or anything about the kingdom. I mean, he believes in Jesus as his Messiah, but that's it. He's a Christianette. <laughs> that's what we say. Christianette taught by preacherettes from sermonettes. That's about the way it is in most churches today, isn't it? Christianettes taught by preacherettes from sermonettes. That was taught to me by a Welsh Revival Presbyterian minister probably 70 years ago. And I, I thought it was so good, I put it back in my mind to remember. But anyway, he said, you will be hated of all nations, and many will be offended. Then false prophets will arise. So not only in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy do we have false prophets, but false prophets will arise and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, do you see lawlessness abounding in our world today? I've never imagined such things as are happening in Missouri, in, right in St. Louis, where I went to school for a year and didn't like it. So I went back to Iowa. But can you imagine the lawlessness and nobody's doing anything about it? The lawlessness of people coming in from other countries. And who knows whether ISIS is coming in? Anybody can come in. They're porous borders. And so lawlessness will abound. We know that the Lord is coming very soon, and the rapture will be before all of this. So I'm looking for the rapture this year or next year very soon. We aren't supposed to set dates, but you know, you can know the times and seasons. It's like when you're going to have a baby, you don't know exactly when, but you can get the idea that it's pretty soon when it nears the time. And so you'll be hated, and the false prophets will rise up. Jews will be hated. And he who endures to the end, what does that mean? The end of what? The tribulation. The end of this time of trouble when the Antichrist is going to rule. If you can endure to the end, and not many will, they'll most be beheaded, but some will endure to the end, they will be delivered. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. Now, the gospel of the kingdom is not being preached in all the world today. What's being preached? The gospel, period. The gospel is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. What's the gospel of the kingdom? The king is coming. 
and going to set up his kingdom. It's very simple when you see this. So during the tribulation, we read in Revelation that angels will fly from heaven saying the king is coming back soon. Prepare for him. So the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. And that will be when Jesus comes back from heaven and wipes out the Antichrist, sends him flying off to a lake of fire someplace out in the heavens that he'll be burning forever and ever and ever. And imagine your body can be burned up, but your soul and spirit can't be burned up. Imagine be burning all forever and ever and ever. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, well, what's that? Well, you have to know Daniel. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When you see this image of himself, we read about it in Revelation 3, standing in the temple that the Antichrist will have rebuilt for Israel, and then he'll put an image of himself in the holy place and say, nah, no more worshiping this God of yours, of the God of the old. You worship me from now on. When you see this image standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea, see how Jewish this is? Flee to the mountain. If you're on the housetop, and we don't live on flat roofs, most of us, but they do over there. Don't come down off your housetop. Take anything out of your house. Just flee. Don't go back and get your clothes. Woe to those. It's going to be a terrible time. Pray that your flight isn't in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. That's why you need to read again. Maybe before you go to bed, read the 12 chapters of Revelation. Just just read it again to see these things that are coming. And then you will see well, how very soon all of this must be and how we can see the birth pangs of all of this before us. So false prophets, verse 24, false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. Jesus himself said this, so as to deceive, if possible, even the elect, that would be Jewish people. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go there. He's in the interims, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. For forever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And then that's a picture of when he comes back. He will destroy all of those nations and the blood will run up to the horse's bridle. A horse's bridle is about like this. Probably that deep of blood. Imagine all the peoples of the earth coming down to wipe out Israel. All of them wiped out in their blood running like a river, deep river. And it's going to be a terrible time. He will come in the clouds of heaven at the end of the tribulation with power and great glory. And so that's another picture of this. Now another picture is First Timothy 4, which says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, see, this is talking to the church, the latter times of the church, some will fall away from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. See, even Christians are led astray by a miracle or a sign or a wonder. If you see a sign or a wonder, oh, somebody's growing a leg and they didn't have a leg. Somebody's being raised from the dead. Oh, there's fire coming down from heaven. Oh, there's blood moves. There's everything coming. You'll be deceived, maybe. But 
if you don't read it in the scripture, you know it isn't true. And he said, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with these people that are fooling you with a hot iron. They forbid to marry, command to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so he goes on to say, don't fall for all of this false stuff. Another place is in 1 Corinthians 7, it says that we are to be very careful during these last days because awful times are coming. We need to know the Bible. We need to know what God has to say. And I think so often, don't fear him who can kill the body, but after that, that's all he can do. He can behead me, but then after that, that's all he can do. But fear him who can kill both body and soul and cast them into hell forever and ever. So we don't need to be afraid because we're on the winning team. See? So these things may come before us. We may have to suffer. And America probably will go down because of our terrible leadership that we have. And so America isn't in the Bible. But I think that the Lord is going to come and take us away very, very soon. All right, now back to our passage. Verse 14, chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. And if a city does this, certain corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, let's go and serve other gods. So a whole city, gods whom you have not known. Then you shall inquire, verse 14, search out, ask diligently, and if it's indeed true and certain have committed an abomination, you shall strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying it, all that's in it, its livestock, with the edge of the sword. And you shall gather all its plunder in the middle of the street, burn it with fire and all its plunder for the Lord your God, and it shall be a heap forever. It shall not be built again. So none of the accursed things like Achan kept shall remain in your hand that the Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy, have compassion on you, and multiply you, just as he swore to your fathers, because you've listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today, to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, what about other false? Did they listen to Moses? Did they do what Moses said? Well, let's look back here and see, back here in First Kings. There's so much to learn from first and second kings. But after Solomon's time, his wives turned him away from the Lord, didn't they? And he put false gods on every hill, made temples to them. And then Solomon's servant, this is chapter 11. I just wanted to introduce you to Jeroboam. who he, All through first king, don't be like Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. But Solomon's servant was Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite. So he was from Joseph's family. Joseph had Ephraim and Manasseh, and his mother's name was Zeruah. She was a widow, but he rebelled against King Solomon, and so he fled from Solomon. He was a mighty man of valor, and so Solomon made him officer over his whole labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah met him on the way and had clothed himself with a new garment and two. They were alone in the field and Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, this servant 
of Solomon, not in the royal family. He said, Take for yourself, Jeroboam, ten pieces. For thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because why? They have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. That paper there about the heathenism, about who Chemosh and all these terrible idols, what they are. You need to read that because you find it all through the Old Testament. God hates idolatry. They worship these false gods and have not walked in my ways, verse 33, to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose. He kept my commandments and my statutes, but I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, that's Solomon, and give it to you, Jeroboam, ten tribes. Then he goes on. Solomon, before he died, sought to kill Jeroboam, verse 40. But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt and stayed there until Solomon died. So when he came back, Solomon's son Rehoboam ruled in his place. I see that sound like Jeroboam and Rehoboam. But Rehoboam was as bad as his father got to be. And so Jeroboam came back and he got the kingdom, ten tribes. In chapter 12, verse 20, it came to pass when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had come back from Egypt, they sent for him and called him to the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none who followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Then the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Tell Rehoboam, the son of, of Solomon, king of Judah, and all the house of Judah, you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. So anyway, there's been war between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. God didn't plan it that way, but that's the way it was. Now notice what Jeroboam began to do. He built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there. Also he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people... It may leave me. I won't have ten tribes. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in Jerusalem, where they're supposed to go, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord. Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, who is son of Solomon, king of Judah. Therefore, so King Jeroboam took counsel and made two calves of gold. Now, what were they worshiping when Moses came down from the mount with the tablets? One calf, which was what the Egyptians worshipped, Apis the bull, and get one of those pictures and you'll see where they got the idea from the gospel and the stars. Instead of the Lord Jesus coming back to fight and defeat his enemies, that became one of their gods, this bull. He made two calves or bulls of gold and said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set one up in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one as far as Dan. He made shrines on the high places, made priests 
from every class of people. For the priests were to only come from what tribe? Levi. So every anybody could be a priest under him. They were not the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month. So he makes his own decide when the feasts are going to be. Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast that was in Judah, and offered sacrifices on the altar. So he became a high priest. So he did at Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And at Bethel he installed the priests of the high places which he had made. So he made offerings on the altar which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day of the 8th month in the month he had devised in his own heart. And he ordained a feast for the children of Israel. Then a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord to Jeroboam. This is chapter 13. And he stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried out against the altar that Jeroboam had built by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a child, Josiah by name. Now, isn't that interesting that God names people before they're born? Who else did he name before he was born? Jesus, didn't he? And so this uh, Josiah is another one. Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David. And on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. So this was fulfilled in 621 B.C. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Arrest him! Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so that he couldn't pull it back to himself. The altar also was split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of your Lord, and pray for me, so that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it became as it was before. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward. Now we're going to see how a seemingly good prophet can become a false prophet. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I wouldn't go with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, you shall not eat bread or drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and didn't return by the way he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his son, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey, and he rode on. He went after the man of God, found him sitting under an oak, said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said, Come home and eat with me. Eat bread. And the prophet said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For I've been told by the word of the Lord, You shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. And he said to him, I too am a prophet. Now see, he's. I too am a prophet as you are, and an angel spoke to me. Now what if an angel spoke to you? Would you believe that? And an angel spoke to me, saying, by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat. See, Satan has his angels too. 
Bring him back to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and he ate bread in his house. So he was fooled, wasn't he, by a false angel. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you've disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, ate bread, drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread, drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your father. So it was after he had eaten bread, after he had drunk and saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. So when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road, and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by, saw the corpse thrown on the road, the lion standing by the corpse and not doing anything. This is like a miracle. They went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. So when the prophet who had brought him back heard it, he said, It's the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son, saddled the donkey. So he went and found his corpse thrown on the road, and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. The lion hadn't eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey, brought it back. So the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. But Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. It was a sin of the house of Jeroboam. Now, one more thing back here in 1 Kings 22, one of my favorite false prophet passages about Jehoshaphat. He was a good king, but he was foolish, really. He didn't have good common sense. There isn't such a thing as common sense today unless you get it from this book. This is where you get common sense. And so Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down from the hill of Israel, down from the heights of Jerusalem, to see Ahab, king of Israel in Samaria. Now, what would he be doing with Ahab, who was married to Jezebel, the worst queen you ever could imagine? But anyway, Ahab is going to say, the Syrians have taken away some of my property. Will you come and help fight with me? So the king of Israel, verse 6, gathered the prophets together, 400 men. Now, these are not prophets of the Lord, but they're prophets of him, false prophets, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up. The Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Isn't there still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Well, there's still one man, Micaiah, the son of him, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. That's what Ahab said. Because he doesn't prophesy good concerning me, but only evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imla, quickly. And the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, each sat on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you will gore the Syrians. See, he was a false prophet among them until they're destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead, prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into your hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen to the words of the prophets with one and encourage the king, they said. Micaiah, don't bring bad news. Encourage him. Let your word be like 
the word of the other prophets and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king and he said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered him and said, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you will tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, this is what Ahab said, didn't I tell you that he wouldn't prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another in this manner. This is like Job when all the angels, good and bad, came before him. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. So this is a demonic lying spirit, a spirit of prophecy. So behind all false doctrine and perversive and not perversion and not the truth, said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophet. And he said, you shall persuade him and prevail. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. So then Zedekiah, the son of Shaniah, one of the false prophets, went in there and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, to Joash, the king's son. Say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison. Feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah chirped up and said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. So he was hit with an arrow just at random. Well, it wasn't at random. He got killed. Don't listen to lying prophets. So back to our passage. You shall not listen to the words of the false prophet or anything. You shall get rid of him. You shall stone him with stones. And so... Because you've listened to the voice of the Lord to keep his commandments, which I command you today. Do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Do not listen to false prophets. Then in chapter 14, we'll start it. Because you're the children of your God, you shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. I don't know whether that means this way or just how. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Evidently, all the heathen priests did that, the way they cut themselves or shave themselves. You're a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You shall not eat any detestable thing. Now these are the animals which you may eat, the ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle. These are clean animals. The wild goat, the mountain goat, the antelope, the mountain sheep. And you may eat every animal with cloven hoofs, having the hoofs split in two parts, and that chews the cud among the animals. Nevertheless, of those that chew the cud or, and have cloven hoofs, you shall not eat, such as the camel, the hare, the rock hydrax, for they chew the cud but don't have cloven hoofs. They are unclean for you. And we talked about this in Leviticus, but Dr. McIntosh said Leviticus are instructions given to Moses and Aaron 
to tell the people, and they told them that in the 11th chapter of Leviticus. But now this is a different. These are given directly to the people. So Leviticus is a, the priest's guidebook, and Deuteronomy is the people's guidebook. They had to have a double sign. In other words, it had a meaning. Your walk and your talk have to agree. If they chewed the cud, that they had a good talk, but they had cloven hoofs. Nope, nope, that wouldn't be. It had to have, like the cow, they have to have the hoof split in two parts and chew the cud. Two, they have to have clean in relation to God. These were clean in relation to God or pure in relation to God. So the walk and talk must agree. And we'll talk more about this next time. These you may eat of all that are in the waters. You may eat all that have fins and scales, fins to move through the world, scales to repel. Do you see the picture here? And you shall not eat those that don't have these things. They're unclean. All clean birds you may eat, but these you shall not eat. The eagle, the vulture, the buzzard, the red kite, the falcon, the kite after their kind. Every raven or ostrich or short-eared owl, seagull, the hawk, the owl, the screech owl, the white owl, the jackdaw, the carrion vulture, the fisher owl. These are all garbage-eating birds. So garbage in, garbage out. Do you see the picture for us? Garbage in, garbage out. Not to be that way. And every creeping thing that flies is unclean for you. They may not be eaten. You may eat all clean birds. You shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You may give it to the alien who is within your gates that he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner, for you're a holy people to the Lord your God. And it ends this wonderful way. You shall, we'll stop here. You shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. Three times this is mentioned about not boiling a young goat in its mother's milk. They are to carefully avoid everything that is contrary to nature. See, nature, this would be the way the little animal was fed. And don't boil what you're going to eat in the food of the little animal. So that will stop today and we'll pick up this next week. Lord, thank you for this time together and the examples that we see from the New Testament and the Old Testament of false teaching and false prophets. May we be more careful to read your Bible every day. Lay up its truth. A little from the old, a little from the new, every day. And may we memorize um, different passages. Most of us know John 3.16, but maybe there are others that we should learn. So we ask that we might do this in Jesus' name. Amen. I often think if I were put in prison and had nothing, no Bible, nothing, how could I sustain myself spiritually? Do I know enough Bible? to help me get through? Well, I doubt it. But maybe we need to know more than John 3.16.